You're listening to the Up In Your Business Podcast, episode 019. On this show, we hear from CNBC Television's Carol Roth. She's wicked smart, super funny, and on this episode, really transparent. I've got something called the rule of three in business, which everything is three times longer, three times as expensive, and three times more difficult than it could be and should be. Welcome to the Up In Your Business Podcast, building you to do business better. This show is about intention, transparency, and insights from business professionals sharing their personal business. Discover what they've learned the hard way, so you don't have to. Empowering a new breed of self-aware leadership, here's your host, Angus Nelson. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Up In Your Business Podcast. I am your host, Angus Nelson. I'm so very happy to be here with you today. If this is your very first time visiting, thanks for taking the time. Uh, would love to hear from you. If you have a great experience, please drop on over to the iTunes store and leave a review. Uh, that would be much appreciated. In addition, it also helps with the algorithms of iTunes to help others discover this wonderful show as well. I want to talk to you um, about uh, last week on the show. I talked about my own personal goal of executing on my plan. Not taking any more learning programs was my goal um, because I, I realized that every time I took a, a new learning program, I went to go uh, study a course or if I went to go read a book or you know listen to a podcast, every time I was doing that, I realized that I was simply making an excuse and stalling on the opportunity to simply execute. So wouldn't you know it? Two of the people that I follow, as well as an ad on Facebook uh, in my feed, were all throwing me these really super sexy offers with great insights and learnings about topics of things I totally want to learn about. And they were introducing these programs that I could pay this small fee and be a part of, and it would just take a little bit of my time. The worst part is they were all discounted for the new year, trying to help everybody start off the year right. Man, what the heck? Like, first of all, where were these things when I wanted to save a couple bucks? Second of all, when I had the time to uh, invest in those or thought I had the time to invest in those, like, they didn't exist. And here we are, once I've made a commitment, they're just screaming at me. And it's like someone hit me uh, with my addiction and I wanted to buy, buy, buy. However, I did not. I have stayed the course, and what has that helped me to do? I created a new ebook called How to Effectively Network Events with Credibility. Now, that title probably sounds familiar if you are part of the audience uh, here on episode 008. You heard me give some insights on how I connect and network at events, and it's been one of the most downloaded shows thus far. So as such... Um, 
I thought, wouldn't it be great if I could make available a free download um, on our on my website at angusnelson.com um, and allow people to be able to have those resources they could print and follow along on their own. So I have created that. It's going to be released probably in the next day or two from when this podcast airs. So if you're listening to this on Monday, it may not be up right away. But if you stop in by the end of the week, I promise you it will be up and available. So um, I'd really appreciate uh, you having a little patience with that. But my point is, look what happens when I don't allow myself to get distracted. Even though it may be a good thing, it may not be the right thing. And so I want to encourage you. Sometimes doing new things often requires stopping old things. In other words, it's not necessarily what you start as much as it is what you quit. And that's a great little lesson, and maybe I'll come back around on that on the end of this show. But for now, let's talk about today's guest. I'm super excited to have you listen to this interview. Our guest, she's a recovering investment banker, a billion-dollar deal maker. She's an investor, a speaker, and an author of the New York Times bestselling book, The Entrepreneur Equation. And currently, she's an on-air contributor for the national cable television station CNBC. So without further ado, I introduce to you Carol Roth. Let's jump into that interview right now. Hi, Carol. Welcome to the Up In Your Business podcast. How in the world are you? I am freaking amazing, Angus. Uh, I'm excited to be here with you. You're a longtime buddy of mine, and uh, it's been far too long since we've connected. So I am incredibly excited to be here. Yeah, well, thank you. Uh, yeah, this it's, it is funny. We've known each other probably, I want to say five or six years. Was it the uh, Modern Media Men Summit thing in Atlanta? I think That's right. Thinking. That's right. I was uh, one, one of the two or three female speakers at the all men's conference go figure it's so so unlike me to show up in that capacity i always say that whenever i get ready to do an interview uh, it's always creepy the fact that i like have to to go into my friend's history and like see them from different perspectives it's just creepy right so i'm creeping on you and i love the exchange uh between you and pierce morgan on uh, the second amendment rights um, yes. About the muskets. This, this is the gift that keeps on giving. So I'll, I'll tell you the backstory um, because I don't, I don't even know if you know the backstory. So this is an exchange that happened between me and Piers Morgan a th- little over three years ago. It was December of 2012. And at the time he had his show on CNN and I was a, a frequent contributor before I joined CNBC. I was as one of his contributors on the show. And so, you know, we went back and forth on everything. We had a very playful relationship. But one day, Piers was spouting off on Twitter, and he was saying, the Second Amendment was divide, devised with muskets in mind, not high-powered handguns and assault rifles. Fact. And just the fact that he said fact when obviously he does not have a time machine and could not possibly go back there. And you know what? I decided I would just be nice and educate him. So I said, you know, Piers, it was actually devised for people to be able to protect themselves with the same type of weaponry used by those from whom they might need protection. Well, of course, him being the pissy Brit that he is says, well, where exactly does it say that in the Constitution? Must have missed it. 
And when you back me in a corner, I'm just going to come back at you. So I said, right next to the word muskets. Because obviously, he said that this was devised. Muskets, mind, whatnot. So honestly, in that moment, I was just being a smartass. Right. And I said this, it was a day, whatever, I was at my desk, and I just thought it was the funniest thing. I was like, ah, I'm so clever, I'm so funny, ha, ha, ha. And then I, I called one of my friends, and I said, oh, I just said the funniest thing on Twitter. No one will ever see it, but, like, wanted you to know how funny I am. I got to go to a business meeting. And I left to go to a business meeting, and I came back, like, three hours later, and I had 7,000 emails and tweets and people who are coming at me telling me that like I was their new hero. I ended up in NRA magazine. I know that a number of the gun manufacturers now have like pictures of it on the wall. So that was great and fun and whatever. But the crazy thing is this thing does not die. You know, as recently as today, people are still virally sharing it and discovering it for the first time. Um, and, you know, obviously the gun debate rages on in our country. And it's like every any time that rears its head, I get this extra boost from this like ridiculously little, you know, pithy exchange that I had with Piers Morgan. So I'm sure that eats him up inside um, every single time that happens because it just will not die. But I still laugh at it. I still go, oh, my God, that was so funny. Oh, clever girl, clever girl. <laughs> And here's what I love about you, and this is why I bring that up, is is because of what you do, you're, you're positioned to where you have to speak on every hot topic, hot potato all the time, whether it's healthcare issues, whether it's investments, whether it's tech yeah. bubble, whether it's, um, I don't know, I, I saw a whole bunch of different videos of you. My, my wife was like, last night, she was like, how many of those videos can you watch? I'm like, I don't know, they're fascinating. <laughs> I've watched kind of the evolution of your career. <laughs> while I was watching these videos and that's taken us to, you know, this little side project, it seems, and maybe you can, you know, share some more about this. But when I came up on the digital series that you did, the don't quit your day job, dot, dot, dot yet, like that's a completely different perspective. That's a different approach. So no longer are you the pundit. Now you're actually a consultant coach, you know, shark tank type of, you know, vibe of giving entrepreneurs perspective and accurate um, objectivity to what it is they're trying to launch, whether it's the makeup or the lasagna or the, <laughs> I forget what else. Underwear is a gift. Yes, the underwear is a gift that you said, hey, you know, the gay community would love this, which I agree. I think it would be fantastic. Um, and the fact that I use the word fantastic is only more appropriate. Um, <laughs> so how has that progression come for you and how is that moving you forward? Is that something you have more interest in and more direction, um, or passion for? Yeah. So it, it's, it's so funny. There are a couple of things to, to understand about me. One is that I move at about like 3 million miles an hour. And everybody else does not, which is always a, a big issue because I've gotten there like way, way before everyone else. And I'm looking at my watch and I get bored. And then I'm like, well, I got to do something else until everybody catches up. So there are a lot of things that I do that by the time everyone else has kind of gotten there, I've already done like a bunch of other things. And then I'm like coming back to something I did before. So the series that I'm doing with CNBC on Don't Quit Your Day Job Yet the ironic thing about that 
is that that was the very first thing that I ever did when I had a starting my own personal brand and I went, okay, I want to be a TV personality. You know, how do I get a national TV? Okay. I need to be on local TV. How do I get a local TV? Oh, I need to be in front of a camera. Okay. Yeah, I could do that myself. And the very first thing I did was basically something called the fired up assessment where I had entrepreneurs send me their business ideas and I ran through the assessment of the idea and them and uh, all these little points and basically did the exact same thing and thought it was a great idea and, you know, use that as my launching point to get into media and when I started out in media, I just kind of wanted to continue with that. You know, I felt like that was where things were at, that, that small businesses and entrepreneurs needed that level of advice. I thought it was fun. I thought it was punchy. And the media outlets weren't there yet. So they're like, no, no, no. But like, hey, we'll have you talk about politics and we'll have you talk about, you know, the stock market. We'll have you do all these other things. And of course, I was like, well, okay, that's fine. At least I'm in the game. And I did it and sort of like left that behind. And then fast forward five years and they're like, okay, well, you know, what about this? And I'm like, yeah, I did that five years ago. Right, right. Thanks for getting there, guys. And that's a consistent theme with me where there are these things that like I clearly see and have gotten to and, and sometimes have to go into a very circular route to end up exactly where I was before, but with the additional resources and platforms. So now instead of you know me doing this in my office with my brother-in-law videotaping me and me trying to figure out the video editing, you know, now we've got a CNBC team that does amazing graphics. And I mean, it's like, honestly, for three minutes, it's the most well-produced and overproduced three minutes that you will ever see in your life. Um, really, really well done. I've got the woman who used to do the booking for Susie Orman's show who did the Can I Afford It segments actually doing the booking for the segment. So it's like mm -hmm. the A-plus team now, but it's honestly the same thing that I did before. It just took everybody else a long time to catch up with me. Um, so <laughs> there, there's some element of that. And then there's also some element of just having, um, you know, ADD and, and having so many diverse interests that it's hard for me to do uh, what I advise other entrepreneurs to do, a little cobbler's kids have no shoes, but to have that relentless focus to be successful. Um, so I need to kind of do these other things. You know, I don't drink and I don't do drugs. So I need to do, I need to have these vices, <laughs> these bad behaviors somewhere. Or I'm going to go crazy. So these bad behaviors of doing some of these other things, but you know, they can take up a lot of time. So that's where I've sort of part and parceled and stepped back because I used to do TV like five days a week. Um, and just from an ROI perspective and what I'm trying to accomplish, it just wasn't sort of the right fit for me. So I had to pull back on that, but I had enough street cred and enough, um, you know, the right partnerships and my profile had been elevated. Now I'm getting paid and I've got the contributor title, those kind of things to be able to step back and still have it work in the way that I needed it to work for me. Yeah. And, and you're not just a, a talking head either because your background 
was in investments and and capital and VC world. And can you share just a little bit? I mean, I mean, I gave a little bit during the intro, but can you kind of just flesh that out just a you know in thirty seconds? Yes. So I started my career as an investment banker. I was on the corporate finance side, which means that I helped advise companies on their um, capital strategies. So we did everything from raising capital to mergers and acquisitions. And I call myself a recovering investment banker because I still make some investments. I still do some advisory. I still do a deal um, from time to time capacity. And I also still do a lot of licensing and partnership work. So over the course of my career, I've done several billion dollars worth of transactions, including raising over a billion dollars worth of capital for companies ranging from the Cheesecake Factory to Papa John's Pizza to Twin Labs to small startups that, uh, you know, hopefully you will hear of in the future. And, uh, and I, I, I killed it. I mean, I was a vice president by the time I was 25 years old, but I never wanted to be the world's best investment banker. So I eventually had to leave that behind once it served me the way that I needed it to serve me. And yeah, and I do believe it served you well. So as Miss Overachiever... No, no. See, it's not an overachiever. Overachiever implies that you're going beyond your capacity. I'm just a, a high achiever. <laughs> Point taken, touche. <laughs> so on that same level, like when you're looking at people who are trying to start companies, whether it be for don't quit your day job yet, and, and this is where I want to kind of tap into your brain a little bit here, or whether it's some of that you are, have invested or would invest in, like what are some of the more common short-sighted mistakes that uh, people make as they're coming to pitch or as they're coming to plan? So I think the the first challenge is I, I have something, um, and I know you and I have talked about this offline a little bit, but I've got something called the rule of three in business, which everything is three times longer, three times as expensive, and three times more difficult than it could be and should be. And so when people are planning for their business, they often don't realize how long something that really shouldn't take that long is going to take. And that factor of three really screws people up because one, they give up, you know, they're trying to pursue something with vigor to make it happen immediately. And then when it doesn't, they kind of take their foot off the gas instead of continuing to do that and, and being patient. And then they often don't, from a financial standpoint, plan for that as well. So that means not only raising the capital to start the business, but to keep it operating through these very rocky times for three years and having enough money to live up. So, you know, setting yourself up financially um, ends up being an issue for people. And then you have to make a bad decision. You know, do I continue trying to make this happen or do I pay my rent or my mortgage? And, and that's a lose-lose proposition when you have to make those kinds of decisions. So I think not having those realistic expectations going in, um, you know, really sets people up to, to struggle. I think there's, there's two sides of that too. Um, you know, the plus side of it is when people start businesses, it's almost because they're so naive, um, that they don't know what they're getting themselves into before they start. And if they'd known that that was what they're going to get themselves <laughs> into, they probably wouldn't have done it. They'd be like, hell no, forget Very this. True. Right. So that could be, you know, a positive side. The opposite was, like you said, that pressure, the stress, the anxiety, the overwhelming fears of uh, keeping a team together or keeping the wheels on the bus. 
um, when you get in those situations and get strapped, you start making really bad decisions. Yeah. And I think too, from a financial standpoint, especially people who've been um, successful, you know, at some level before I've got a, a nice five figure, maybe six figure income that there's this desire that, Hey, well, you know, I've made this much and I'm giving it up and I really need to replace that day one. And whether it's, you know, trying to figure that out in the plan or asking an investor to pay some ridiculous salary for, for investing in their startup, it just doesn't happen. You have to be willing to take the risk. And from, from my standpoint, I'm one of those very calculated risk takers. So when I went to pursue entrepreneurship, I made sure I had the financial flexibility, that I had the money in the bank so that I could take that step back um, financially for a period of time because I knew it was going to be hard enough you know, on my ego, you know, which is usually the biggest um, impediment that we all have in entrepreneurship um, is just getting out of our own way. So it was going to be hard enough for me personally um, to take the step back, but to take the step back and then be truly panicked financially would have been a, a disaster and I just would not have been successful. So at least I have enough awareness um, to be able to set myself up, you know, financially first to have the flexibility and to give myself the time um, so that I could muddle through and sit looking at my watch while everybody else caught up to me. <laughs> nice. And and isn't it true too that when someone starts a new business, they do think you have a term for this and help me out. It's in your little glossary on your website, but the whole grass is always greener. So I may yes. not be happy here, but hey, when that day comes, well, then I'm going to be happy, right? <laughs> The goose syndrome, grass always greener on the other side syndrome. Yeah, there are people who are constantly chasing happiness. And, you know, if they could just change this one element, then everything would be great. But then that happens and it's like, well, okay, well, let me just give you one more tweak. And it's just a tweak and tweak. And the reality is that you're just looking for some excuse that you're trying to get away from yourself. I mean, there's a sort of a whole slew of psychological things that I won't go into, but yeah, I think that there's always an expectation that if I could just do this, um, you know, all these other problems go away and it's not the case. And I think one of the big challenges, especially for people who are very creative and who really are either skilled at doing one particular thing or have a particular passion is that they believe that going into a business will allow them the time to pursue that passion and spend all their time doing that one thing they love, when in fact, it's actually just the opposite. If you go into a business, you're probably spending less time doing what it is that you enjoy doing, baking cupcakes, playing music, whatever it is. Mm -hmm than if you had been hired in that capacity. Because if you're hired in that capacity, that is your job. That is what you do. If you start a business, then your job is to build a business, which means you need to find customers. You need to service customers. You need to do the schedule. You need to do marketing. You need to do accounting. And even if you have people um, doing some of those other things, you still can't abdicate that responsibility. You can delegate it, but you can't abdicate it. Yeah. And that means you're still spending time um, overseeing what other people are doing, mopping up their messes and the like. So you actually end up spending less time doing what you like to do and typically working more hours for the same or less pay, at least when you start out. So, and you said 
that you didn't want to get into that psychological stuff. I do. <laughs> this is called up in your business, right? Yes. Um, so I recognize something about myself, um, you know, coming around the new year, doing my own analysis. I got my full year calendar on the wall. I'm plotting, I'm planning, I'm taking over the world through livestock domestication, um, whatever it is I'm doing. Um, and I realized that for myself, one of the things that has kept me from moving forward, pulling the trigger and actually executing on some of my plans was that I wanted to learn something. And I actually was stalling my forward progress by, oh, I just got to take one more class. I got to go attend one more conference. I have to listen to another series of podcasts. I have to X, Y, Z. And all of that I realized for me was just an excuse so that I didn't have to pull the trigger. That's exactly it. So you, you're using the guise of I need to learn more or I don't have enough information because you weren't confident enough in yourself that you had what it took to get it done. Or, you know, some people just have a block overdoing that for whatever reason, some particular big task, just getting started, getting those creative juices going. There's almost like a, for some people, like a physical pain or at least discomfort in in doing that. Um, I have people that I work with with some of my clients. And again, I, I hate to pick on the creative folks, but it really does afflict the creative folks that, you know, unless they are in the mood to do a particular project, they will do everything under the sun other than the one thing that they're actually really good at mm -hmm. and that they're supposed to be doing. And that's the thing they're in charge of, but you know, they're going to go and, you know, look at pretty colors for this and be inspired by this, but you no, know, just you know, do your thing. And I, I think that there is something about getting into that creative process that almost has like a, a, a physical and mental element combined, um, which is, you know, why I try to advise people and follow when I can you're doing the big things or at least some of the big things first thing before you get mired in small things like email and social media. And it's amazing, you know, how much you can get done in an hour, an hour mm -hmm. and a half of uninterrupted work. Um, if you kick off in that manner and don't have all these, these other things going on, um, it's very, very, very surprising. So just by sometimes shifting the order of the way that you work and, and committing that you're going to get some things done early in the day, you'll find out that you're incredibly more productive than you would be otherwise. Yeah. So I see two sides of our conversation here. We, we've got both extremes. We have one person who had, hasn't done the homework, who hasn't, you know, been proactive, right. who is acting, you know, irrationally or impulsively. Then on the other equation, we're saying someone is, is doing too much. They're studying way too much, and now there's this paralysis of analysis. Yes. In some way, somehow, we have to be able to bring people to the middle. So for you and who you've invested and your teams, what tools or resources do you have in place for the people you invest in to help counsel, mentor, or accelerate them in this psychological or emotional um, you know, realm? You know, it's interesting. I don't know that my core competency is the psychological and the emotional. I, I know you're going to find this very hard to believe, Angus, but I am not the feel-good hand holder. I, I'm not even <laughs> an email. 
I don't even say like, hi, like, how was your week? Just answer the question and get it out there. So like, for people who are looking for me to fill that void in their lives, uh, they're definitely barking up the wrong tree. And I think that's why you need to have a team of people you interact with because you cannot expect to get everything from one person. And um, as I said, I have a very high sense of self-awareness. Like I know like where I am in my lane and I try and stay in my lane. So I am not going to be your handholder. I'm going to be your strategist. I'm going to tell you what needs to be done. I'm going to tell you how to do it, but I'm not going to be the one to stand there and make you do it. Um, There are people that I work with, like Catherine Morgan, um, the editor-in-chief of my blog, who's a career transition coach, who's really good at like, you know, kind of that hand-holding and like that psychological stuff. For me, it's not. To me, it's very black and white. Like, here's what it is. Do it. I do offer up, as I said, some sort of... um, you know, and again, from a more strategic standpoint, puzzle standpoint, um, you know, some ideas about how to do the workflow, things like um, we talked about, about doing the big stuff early, but also mapping out projects and doing it in a way where the person who has a strategic mind is doing the mapping out to avoid bottlenecks. Um, as I mentioned, you know, sometimes there are these creative things that take a lot of time and have a lot of other people to weigh in. And all those other people are sitting and waiting for that person. So like I advocate doing that task first. Let's say you, you were, you're an events planner and you have something like posters for the events where someone needs to do the creative and someone needs to do the text and then it needs to be run by the client. Well, like in your logical workflow, you may think to put those towards the end, I would do that first because you have so many layers of approval. So I think you need to find the person who is strategic. And if you don't know who is strategic, there's a great resource. I don't know if you've ever done this before, Angus, but have you taken the strength finders test? You know, I have. Yeah, I have. So is is strategic one of yours? Because it is like front and center um, of one of mine. And so if you do the strength finders test, you will be able to find people um, who have those strengths. And the other thing that's great about it is you will know what your team member strengths are. So you let people be able to work in a manner that aligns with their strengths. So I am definitely into the whole emotional IQ element. Yes. So um, you're talking my love language. <laughs> um, so for me, if you want to talk, you know, my disc profile, I'm a high ID. So in cause of social interactions, I'm the extroverted, intuitive, you know, party, life of the party guy. I'm the people guy. In moments of stress, I'm D, which is director. So I start cracking a whip and we're going to, I like to say GSD and I don't like to cuss too much on my my program, but get stuff done. Yes, yeah. I have one too. Yeah. That was given to me by a, a very well-known Hollywood director. Said you, you don't have an MBA, but you've got a GSD. <laughs> <laughs> nice, right? Uh, so my my Myers Briggs is an ENFP, but under my Strengths Finder, Strategic Communications, Belief, Woo, and Activator. Wow. Okay. So I wrap up people and I make plans, and then I I push them. I activate okay. them. So it's kind of a really interesting balance of how I'm able to take people and really give them what they need to be their most successful self, which is really fitting because that's what I'm trying to do is, is to help people go that direction. Okay. So that, that's, what's so great about knowing your strengths. So mine are uh, significance, achiever, 
strategic focus and competition. The interesting thing about that is the number one is significance, which means that I do my best work when I have a platform, which makes all the sense in the world that I would be pursuing from investment banking a media career, not because it's what I want to do, but it's actually when I show up the best. It's where I end up activating the strength. So knowing that, just having that information gives me that sort of, you know, person on my shoulder or some sort of, you know, third party validation that yes, even though this is, you know, very bizarre in terms of a, a career path, that that is something that that I should be doing because that is where I do my best work. So how did you having not a whole lot of and I'm just using my own words here, empathy or compassion? <laughs> Um, how did you reverse engineer yourself? Did you have some coach? Did you have some friends? Did you have uh, yeah. your husband? Like who stepped in and say, honey, you know, have you thought about, you know? <laughs> okay. So, so here, this is, this is the story. This is the, the Carol getting naked moment that you've all been waiting for. Um, so when I came out of investment banking and then started my own investment banking firm, it was in this world. Um, you know, I was what I would call the successful underachiever. So you went with the overachiever. I'll go with the successful underachiever because you know, here I was, you know, I had made vice president of an investment bank by age 25, a multimillionaire, you know, all these things from the outside. People are like, oh my God, she's just killing it. And I was just incredibly depressed. And I was incredibly depressed because I knew I was not working at a level that I should be, that I could be doing more, giving back more, and, and it just wasn't working for me. But for the life of me, I could not figure out what it was that I should be doing. So I decided the best way, since I could not figure it out, that I needed to, to do things that were completely different than what my brain told me I should and shouldn't do. So one of the things my brain would have shot down was to get a coach. And so that's exactly what I did. So I went out and I found a business coach. I interviewed a bunch of different people. I found the one that I thought was best suited for me. And then all of these little wonderful little empathy tools like doing the strengths finder came from working with this business coach who, by the way, I still continue to work with. I say some people have a therapist. I have a, a business coach. And you know, for me... He pushed me into doing these things that I just thought were completely stupid, but mm. that, you know, I felt like, well, yeah, I may think they're stupid, but obviously what I'm doing is not working. So I have to be willing to try these other things to at least go, okay, you know, I, I explored all possibilities. And that was really what opened me up to different possibilities, just doing things that I thought were completely silly and stupid. And, you know, what's amazing is the, the things that have sprung out of doing that, things like uh, my book marketing um, director, Elizabeth Marshall, I met her by doing a bunch of silly, stupid things that, you know, I would have never done otherwise. And again, they're not actually silly and stupid. My brain just told me they were silly and stupid things like, you know, listening to one of her, you know, free calls on book marketing and I entered a free contest. Like, when would I ever enter a free contest for a coaching call? You know, just, I mean, just things like that would just be like, yeah, hey, I don't need to do that. And um, I actually won the free contest and connected with her and said, 
after I connected with her, said, you know, I, I, I like what you're doing, but would, wouldn't want to do this in like a program. I'd want to work one-on-one. Would you be willing to do that in a style that worked better for me? And she did that. And, you know, she's the one that really helped me um, make my book, The Entrepreneur Equation, a success. So mm-hmm. opening myself up to being willing to just do stuff that my brain uh, initially shut down, I think, uh, is what gave me that um, that extra empathy and made me more cuddly than I was prior. <laughs> I love that. And isn't it, you know, that whole terminology that people use, the cliché? you know, um, doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results, right? So when we think things are silly or stupid or unnecessary, like that's the very thing that should be a red flag that says, ding, ding, ding. If this scares the crap out of you, maybe you need to lean into that. Yeah. Well, I'll I'll tell you another time that I did this, and, and this isn't business, but this is personal, is that I had a very debilitating stomach illness for three years, um, that was undiagnosable. And, you know, I, I was committed to getting it resolved. I looked like I was nine months pregnant mm-hmm. at all times. I was in severe pain. I couldn't bend over and, you know, nobody knew what it was. And so I had people coming out of the woodwork. And again, you have to, again, I'm a very, you know, like, let's do these things these ways. You know, I went to the doctors and I had people coming out like, hey, I've got this witch doctor. Hey, I've got, you know, this person, medical intuitive, like, would you? And, and I said, yes. And so I, I literally I talked to a medical intuitive who told me I had the soul of an unborn baby that wanted to get out of my body and I needed to talk to it, which, by the way, did not work, but I did do it. Right. I went to the witch doctor that hooked me up to these balls and these, like, electro. I did all these things, and I eventually solved it. I don't know how I solved it. I, I can't tell you exactly which of these weird things did it. I can tell you it wasn't the medical intuitive, but not to put anything past them, but that one, one particular thing didn't work for me. But again, being willing to just do anything in search of finding the right answer. Um, it took three years, almost three years, but uh, it got solved, knock on wood. And, uh, and and I attribute a lot of that to being willing to do these things that just sounded and were in many cases just completely bizarre. Yeah, and I think you're you're tapping into something that I think is critical uh, in just our modern day mindset is we we formulate everything. Everything's got a formula, and if I go to college, I'm going to get a degree, I'm going to get a job, I'm going to make lots of money, I'm going to get my my 2.5 kids and house, white picket fence, and dual garage. <laughs> like that world doesn't exist anymore. Right. And for you personally, being open to transition career, transition mindset, transition um, emotion, I mean, those are huge. So as we talk to a listener, um, I want to backtrack, maybe reverse engineer yourself from that same perspective. Going into a world right now where the Dow Jones right now looks a little sketch. Just a little. And, yes. and, and then we look at investment banking, your world. Um, uh, we're in the, we're in a bubble for lack of better terms. VCs are throwing money like, like drunken sailors at stuff, <laughs> you know, um, like th- this stuff is not, um, sustainable. sustainable. Yeah, yeah. None of it is. Um, we've got kids taking out, uh, huge amounts of loans, my 20 year old and looking at the debt she's raking up for a job that may be obsolete by the time she graduates, 
you know, or irrelevant because schools can't pass curriculum uh, faster than two years. So everything's changing at such a dramatic pace. So how would you encourage someone coming to this world who's 20 years old, knowing everything you know now to prepare them for success? So I, I would go with um, a balanced approach. Everything's a, a balance, right? So on a, a very practical level, I do think there are skills that will never go away. Knowing how to write well, knowing um, accounting, financial accounting, being able to have logic skills, attention to detail, just taking fundamental classes like accounting 101, you know, those basic skills um, will give you a leg up on just about everyone. And I mean, it's just amazing. Even just being able to write in an investment banking setting is like a huge, huge holy grail. Got these kids who can model now who can't put a sentence together. But when you go to sell a company, you have to be able to tell a story. So just arming yourself with a basic skill set, I think, is incredibly valuable. And even though um, there are specialized skills that go away, you know, you learn to code something and then there's a new you know, code that comes along, um, having the logic behind coding, understanding, you know, the if-thens and, and how that flows doesn't go away. You may have to, to learn a different practical application, but the thought process, the basics never change. So don't overcomplicate things. So get yourself a basic skill set. From the emotional side of things, I think you always have to be willing to take a step back to make a giant leap forward. And that's a very difficult thing for people to get their heads wrapped around um, from an ego emotional standpoint, because we, we want things to move in that perfect straight upward trajectory. We want to be able to take a step forward and just keep moving forward. And I always think about, you know, you get to, um, let's say, a creek, right? You're walking along a path and you get to a creek. You know, how are you getting over that creek? Are you going to step forward? No. Are you going to stand still and try and like jump straight from there? I don't advise it. What I advise is you back up a few steps, you run, and then you leap over that creek. And it's the same thing that you have to be willing to do in life. You have to be willing to go, okay, I know that I'm smart and I'm going to work hard and I'm going to work smart, take my smarts and work smart. And I'm going to be able to do that. And doing that, I am going to be able to, to navigate all these new things that come up along the way. So if I have to take a step back and take a lower salary, if I have to start at an entry-level position, even though I was a little higher up the food chain before, it doesn't matter because it gets me in the game. And once you're in the game and then you know the rules and the players, then you can navigate and be the superstar, but you still have to get in the game. So you have to be willing to take that step back, and that's just getting out of your own way. And if you can get out of your own way, I think for most people – that's going to be effective. Now, back to what you said before, there are also people who have the opposite problem, who like are, have a very great sense of self and probably a little too great a sense of self. Like, congratulations to your parents. They did a, a wonderful job of making you think that anything's possible, but you need to get a grip on reality. So if you're a reality grip person, 
you need to align yourself with some people who can bring that competency and you probably need to spend a little bit more time being analytical and thinking through strategy. And if it's not your strong suit, getting someone else that help, can kind of help you look look at the outcomes um, so that you're making the best decisions and not just assuming that I can show up and you know become president in three days. So I think it really depends um, on your personality type. And, uh, and also, and I, I hate to say this, but I'm the one who gets to say it also if you're male or female, cause a lot of the women tend to be a lot more conservative and a lot of the men tend to be risk takers. Not everyone. Yes. It's a stereotype. They call it that for a reason, but being out in the world, I can tell you that it's the case. So if you're a woman starting a business, like try and start a hundred million dollar business instead of a cupcake shop that makes five bucks. And if you're a dude, your cupcake shop's not going to make $20 million. So get a grip. So, you know, there, there's coming back to that middle that you talked about is that like, you know, depending on who you are and uh, you know, some of the things that you may have learned environmentally um, that you, you probably need to take a little bit of a different approach to get back to that sort of common sense middle ground. That's fantastic. And the, I think the last piece that we haven't talked about um, is just the, the failure aspect. And I think you're, you're tapping into that is, <laughs> is not being afraid to fail. And when yeah. you do fail to learn from it, that fail, failure is not an end. No, okay, so I'm so mad at our school system um, for, for many reasons. But I think the number one letdown that they do, and this is spilled over into parenting, is that they don't teach you how to fail. I mean, the entire system is set up so that if you get 100%, you get everything perfect, you get a gold star and a smiley face, and that if you fail, you sit in the corner with a dunce cap. And if you are going to be successful, if you're going to be an entrepreneur, if you're going to be an intrapreneur, if you're going to do anything, you have to take some level of risk, hopefully educated risk. But if, you, if you're going to take risk, it is not going to work out some of the time. And that is okay. That is part of the process. And it's something that needs to be embraced. Now, you need to learn to fail in the, the correct way, which I always say is, is failing quickly, failing cheaply, and never failing the same way twice, um, because you don't want to tie up all of your money pursuing something that you know doesn't work out and bankrupts you. You don't want to you know, spend 10 years pursuing you know the dream and then have it all fall apart. You don't want to um, you know keep doing the same thing over and over and never learn. So I think that there, there is this nice flow to being able to do it correctly, but you have to be willing to do it and you have to be willing to say, okay. And I will tell you, you know, from my own personal standpoint, that was, that was a huge issue when I wanted to go into TV, you know, my immediate gut reaction is I'm not going to tell anybody. And the reason I didn't want to tell anybody is because if it didn't work out, I didn't want them to point and laugh at me. Oh, my God, I remember her. She wanted to you know, be on TV. So the funny thing is that like people like barely even remember what you tell them you know, at all, let alone want to point and laugh at you. So that would have never happened. Um, but I, I decided, as we talked about before, to do things differently. And as soon as I decided I wanted to do that, I told everybody it made me committed to it. It, it gave mm. me a, a sense that like, you know, sink or swim, like you're not getting out of this because everyone's going to ask you about it. So it, it provided me that, that level of like pushing me into the water for the sink or swim. And then along the way, I mean, my God, we've talked about all the, the highlights, but we haven't talked about all the, all the, the big, you know, floppy failures. 
you know, I had a, a number of pilots that I shot for TV productions, some of which I had to rope people into and then explain to them why they never made it to air. Um, I had a radio show on WGN in Chicago, really high profile, one of the best stations in the country. Um, that uh, you know, Tribune went through bankruptcy. They brought a new management and fired everyone. So I literally just completely just got fired. Like, sorry, like, we don't even know who you are. Like, get out of here. Um, I've had, you know, had production company deals that, like, you promised me all these kinds of things that never went anywhere. So, like, we've spent a lot of nice times talking about all the great things. But, like, this is not like, oh, yeah, well, I did this and that worked out. I pat myself on the back. And so I thought I'd do the next thing. I mean, this is a lot of trying stuff. In fact, my first day on the radio, um, <laughs> this, is, this is a great learning opportunity for, for me and everyone else. I had um, a radio coach, and the radio coach convinced me the first day that I should have this particular guest that he knew. And I said, you know what? Well, I know this guy who talks about the same things, and I think I'd be more comfortable with my guy. No, no, no. You should have my person. And gut feeling, I just knew I shouldn't. But, you know, I didn't know anything. I wasn't a radio person. So I went with the other person, never again. And that person swore on the radio they said the word bs in its full glory and not even meaning it like in, in, in like a random like adjective way that like to, to modify something where it didn't even make any sense so by the time i heard it and processed it i couldn't dump it out and my producer who should have caught it wasn't paying any attention. So like my first radio review, which is kind of brilliant now, but like at the time was like, oh, I can't believe this, was that like, yeah, my debut radio show on WGN in Chicago, let a swear word fly across the air. So, you know, we talk about all the, the successes, but yeah, there's like a, tons of these like ridiculous things. But again, none of them are paralyzing and you know, even after I was fired from radio, I had other radio offers. I decided it wasn't what I wanted to do, but, you know, it didn't prevent me from, in fact, the funny thing is sometimes just having the thing on your resume gives you that validation. Like, you don't even need to be good at it, but it's like, oh, well, she's done it before, so we like to be safe. We don't like to fail, so we're just going to go with this person instead of an unknown talent. So getting in the game is important and, and being willing to fail is important. Um, and, you know, you just have to just take baby steps and try it on, on these small things and, and do it in a way that that's not going to damage you, you know, financially and psychologically forever. That's awesome. So to summarize, we want oh, to summarize. No, 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 no. I'm going to summarize like our whole conversation. Like Finding the balance between preparing too much and not enough. Finding the time where you need to pull the trigger. And only you know. Um, and, and when I say that, I don't mean you consciously know it, but your gut knows it. And you have to work past the fear and the intrepidation and whatever else to actually pull that trigger. And that may need or require a coach or a third party to speak into your life to pull that out of you. The second thing... Um, uh, would you say back up before you move forward? Don't be yeah, afraid take, to, yeah, to, to back up. Yeah. Um, and then check your ego. Um, you got to get your ego out of the way, get rid of the pride and get rid of the fear. Um, and the only way you're going to get rid of the fear, I think, is when you get rid of the ego. I think those are totally connected. And then the last thing is fail 
smartly or fail correctly. Yeah. And back to the ego, I'll just, I'll just add one other thing is that also with your, your ego is a very dangerous thing. So not only do you have to kind of get it out of the way um, from a, a fear standpoint, but also from what you're trying to accomplish, you know, I have something that I call ROE, which is return on ego, um, where a lot of people should be pertur- uh, pursuing ROI, return on investments, and trying to, you know, benchmark what it is they're trying to accomplish. And instead, they're doing the return on ego, the things that make them feel good. So getting the likes on Facebook, getting the head pads, the pats on the back, oh, you're so great, that like, don't give you any dollars. So like, until congratulations can pay your mortgage, um, you might want to focus on ROI instead of the ROE. That's, that's, that's dynamic. Well, um, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your time and your vulnerability. Uh, Carol, this has been awesome. So besides tuning in to CNBC, is it what four o'clock Eastern time for, uh, closing bell and, uh, your digital series don't quit your day job yet. Um, you've got something else in the works. Yes. So so are you okay to share with that? So I'll I'll just do a couple, a couple quick plugs. Um, Definitely carolroth.com and Twitter at carolj.sroth to stay connected. And then if you, especially on Twitter, because I put out all my, my information there, I actually have a really big TV thing that um, hopefully should be announced here pretty soon. Uh, fortunately, I am not at liberty to say what it is, but it, it's another one of those things that I've uh, been kind of trying to pursue for a long time. And it's finally everybody else is catching up and, and coming to fruition. So I'm going to be part of something um, that I'm really excited about. And then I also have a um, legacy planning project called Future File, really amazing product um, that is really important to everyone. We did talk about my personal story about all the losses that I've incurred. Um, but if you check me out and check out futurefile.com, uh, which will be launching soon, you can find out all about that too. Awesome. Well, thank you, Carol. Love and appreciate you. Thanks. I'm super grateful for Carol being on the show today to share so much great content in addition to her being transparent and being real. Um, I put great value on that. I hope you had a little notebook or a moleskin or your smartphone or maybe a tablet available to take some notes on this show. If not, I highly recommend you go back and listen to it again. There's some great takeaways. Uh, In particular, um, I am processing kind of that whole in-between of the people who uh, study too much and think too much and get that paralysis of analysis versus those who just procrastinate. That's definitely me. That's where I'm at. Um, in addition, before we started this interview, I shared with you one of the things that I'm kind of wrestling with, and that is the fact that whenever you start things, it's often important to quit things. And we don't always see it that way. We don't always think about the things we need to quit. Uh, We all probably spend too much time than we need to on everything from Facebook to Instagram to all the other digital facets. But in addition, if we're really truly trying to get ahead in life, there's some other things that maybe we need to put on hold too. And that might include 
some of the uh, Netflix binging on different shows. It may include not going to see a movie fresh in the theater. It may require us to step aside a season in our softball team or bowling league or something else that we might be a part of. It may even be, and I'm not here yet, it's definitely not me, but maybe taking off a season in fantasy football. I don't think I could do that, Um, but I can tell you, Uh, My team definitely suffered this year because I did not give it as high of a priority on my list as I have in years past. And as such, I I, I did make it in one of my leagues into the finals, but uh, my loss in the first round. Um, But here's the thing I want to share with you uh, in regards to some of um, the thoughts I had when we started the show, you know, the whole facet of starting and stopping Um, I really think, and I shared this with my wife, uh, last week that one of our greatest fears is just starting in and of itself, because once you start, it's like you are throwing yourself out to the world, exposed and naked and, uh, possible like getting picked apart or identified as someone that we're not, or you know, we think that we might be called out possibly as a fraud, or, or just you know, someone not to be taken seriously, and that can be really scary. Being exposed like that, it is, it, it it's disturbing. And for me, back in June, when I made an announcement that I was going to do this podcast, I knew that uh, it was going to be a difficult row road to hoe, and. You know, if I were going to be completely transparent, I may or may not have told you this before, but when I put out my first request for a guest, it was actually Joel Kamm, and I interviewed him on 001. On that episode, I wrote up the email and I stared at it for about five minutes And then I walked away and I think I was helping my wife with dinner. I played with the kids. It probably sat there for well over an hour because I knew the moment I hit send, like I was committed and it was the beginning and I couldn't turn back and it startled me. It, it, it rocked me. And I can tell you from experience, I've done this many times before in different capacities And interesting enough, I've done much, much bigger efforts to do things uh, when I was younger. And I probably, because I was so naive, it was much easier. But as I've gotten a little bit older, more mature, I have more on the line, including my wife and my children and my career. Like It can be really, really uh, disturbing. I think that's a great word for it. But here's the truth. Once you step out towards your dream. There's no looking back. Like you are on your way. You are part of a small percentage of people who are actually doing the steps towards making their dreams a reality. And that's my encouragement for you today. You don't have to have it all figured out. You don't have to know the entire plan. You don't even have to have the destination completely mapped out. But rather, take the first step. So I invite you today, whatever that might be emotionally or personally or professionally, explore 
yourself, your heart, your mind, just simply by taking one step. Maybe you need to buy a URL. Maybe you need to enroll in uh, school again. Maybe you need to call a therapist or a counselor and deal with some of the baggage from your past. Maybe it means you need to call someone and apologize, or maybe it's someone you need to call and say you're starting something new and would they be a customer. Whatever it is that you need to do to just take the first step, try that. And then let me know how it went. I would love to hear what it is you're doing. You can email me at hello at angusnelson.com. I would love to hear from you. Other than that, I really appreciate you taking the time to listen today and investing in yourself. It has been a fantastic interview. Again, uh, that ebook that I told you about before regarding networking will be up on the website uh, by the end of this week. And uh, I would love to have that available to you. It's going to be available for free, so you can just simply download it. Other than that, uh, have an incredible day. Uh, Be everything that you can be to be your most um, excellent self. And with that, be amazing. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Up In Your Business podcast with Angus Nelson. Find more at upinyourbusiness.co. Remember, that's .co, not com. So we're going to start recording. Give me that little hey, hey, one more time. Hey, ooh, hey, ho, yeah. Okay. Perfect. Okay.